0: Okay, if you have a Bible with you this morning, or a Bible app, you can uh, open up to Psalm 23. So what began as a one-up message (laughs) many weeks back on the title of The Powerless Place has evolved into a series of messages, certainly not what I had expected at the time. But we've looked at a few key verses. Let me just run very quickly through them for you as a reminder. The first week we looked at 2 Corinthians 12, 9 where God says to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Week 2, we examined the concept, I introduced the concept of the dark night of the soul as coined by St. John of the Cross. And we looked at the account from Mark 14, verses 35 and 36, where it says, Going a little farther, he, Jesus, fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour may pass for him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, third look at the series, we, we looked at Jesus' very kind, and very merciful and loving words from Matthew chapter 11, where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Powerful words, right? Powerful words. So different from the experiences of far too many people, far too many Christians. Oh God, help us. In week four, we looked at David's call and anointing to be king from 1 Samuel 16. Specifically, the second half of verse 7, where God says to the prophet Samuel, the Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Only God would have chosen the boy David to be the next king. By every natural measure, he was too small and too young and too inexperienced. All he did was tend a few sheep out in the wilderness, as his brother said, his older brother. Guys, indeed, (laughs) God's ways are not our ways. Last week in the fifth message in the series, we looked at Jesus' words from John chapter 12, verses 22 and 24, where it says, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies... It produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And I mentioned to you last week how diametrically opposed the culture of this world is to the culture of God's kingdom. And that sometimes, not always, but sometimes we experience a wilderness, a spiritual wilderness. We experience the powerless place. We experience the backside of the desert, the, the dark night of the soul. Because we're stuck between cultures. Maybe we've got a foot in each camp. Maybe we're actually transitioning from, from a worldly culture to a kingdom culture. And in between, on that journey, of that transition, we've got to navigate through a desert. Honestly, sometimes I'm just so accustomed to the world's culture that I find the kingdom culture somewhat jarring and unsettling. And I struggle to let go of the old to embrace the new. Sometimes we just ping pong back and forth, right? (laughs) Of course the answer is to yield. right? To yield our will to His will. To yield our embrace on a worldly culture, and embrace this very unusual kingdom culture. Unusual compared to the world. So today I feel led to continue this series, and we're going to do it by taking a look at Psalm 23. Now most Sundays I use the New International Version Uh, when I speak. I'm going to switch things up a little bit. I'm going to use uh, the New King James most of us are traditionally familiar with Psalm 23 and the phraseology of uh, the King James Version. I couldn't quite go all the way there, but New King James um, will, be, will be more familiar to us. But I'm also going to pair it up with the, um, the Passion Translation, a newer translation I really like, I really get, and I, I really enjoy their take on, uh, on Psalm 23. So I'm going to be using both. But let's begin with, um, we'll look at those six verses of Psalm 23 from the New King James. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still borders. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that's in your word. We ask Lord that uh, you help us this morning. Give me your words for your people, and Lord, prepare their hearts to receive what's from you. Let it be life-giving to them. Let it be. Let it bear much fruit in their lives. Amen. Okay, arguably, arguably, <laughs> Psalm 23 is the most popular and beloved of the Psalms it's been memorized commonly used in memorial services taught on endlessly if you've been a Christian for a long time probably not the first Psalm 23 sermon you've ever heard and so to, this morning I'll add my two cents uh, but before I get there I'd just like to share a few insights from some of my favorite commentati- commentators I like to look to some commentaries when i prepare a message especially on something classic like this and just get insights from from minds that are vastly brighter than mine so from jameson Fawcett, and brown's bible commentary this is their introduction to psalm 23 says under a metaphor borrowed from scenes of pastoral life which with, with which david was familiar he describes God's providential care in providing refreshment, guidance, protection, and abundance, and so affording grounds of confidence in his perpetual favor. Ooh, I like that. In this, we'll see God's care and his provision, his refreshment, his guidance, his his protection, and his abundance. We, We serve a God of abundance. He's not cheap. God's not cheap. He's not stingy. We don't serve a stingy God. I think the universe is evidence of the fact of just how great and lavish is the love of God for us, right? The vastness of the universe. He creates all of it so we can have a place to hang out with. Isn't that awesome? He didn't need the universe. He didn't need the universe. He existed fine without it. But he created it for us. And even though we live on but one small corner of it, he created all that is as a demonstration of his lavish and extravagant love for us. He's so good. The God of abundance. And still being created. There you go. Spurgeon writes of Psalm 23 in his Treasury of David. He writes this. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. What a condensation is this that the infinite Lord assumes towards his people the office and character of a shepherd. It should be the subject of great admiration that the great God allows himself to be compared to anything which will set forth his great love and care for his own people. David had himself been a keeper of sheep, and he understood both the needs of the sheep and the many cares of a shepherd. He compares himself to a creature weak, defenseless and foolish and he takes God to be his provider his preserver his director and indeed his everything such a wonderful song describing the language describing God as a shepherd is common in both the Old and the New Testaments the pulpit commentary put together by David Spencer Jones offers a list of different parts of scripture where the, the language of shepherd is used to describe God. Included in that list, and you can write it down if you want to, Genesis 48, Psalm 7, 74, 77, 78, 79, 80, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 34, Hebrews 13, 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 5, Revelation 7, and of course, by Jesus himself, of himself, Throughout John chapter 10, specifically verse 14, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. So this language of God as shepherd is oh, solidly biblical, right? Okay, with that as an introduction, let's take a look at Psalm 23. Verse 1, David writes, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So David begins with a very firm foundation, a solid foundation. We, just like David, we need to have just such a foundation. For Nadine and I, we've been together for almost 40 years now, and we've we've had some great times, and we've had some hard times, like everybody else. We, We have a foundation, one that has evolved, cultivated, developed over decades together. In our hottest days, Nadine and I made this, our personal foundation. And it's it's this, number one, God is good. And number two, God loves me. Number one, he's good. Number two, he loves me. And everything else begins at number three. Nothing ever gets exalted from the third position and leapfrogs over one and two. I don't care how bad the circumstances we've been in, how painful they've been, how crazy it's been, how confusing it's been, how difficult it's been to understand. Nothing changes the foundation that we know. Number one, God is good. And number two, he loves us. Nothing ever changes that fact. We made the decision a long time ago that we're never going to judge his goodness or his love for us by our circumstances. You know why? Because we've done it and it never ends well. It never takes me to a good place. It always takes me to an awful place. But when I hold on and I keep as my solid foundation that he's good and that he loves me, it seems like no matter what comes, we can get through it. No matter what life throws at me, I'm determined to keep that at number three. And good times and hard times are better with that solid foundation. David seems to agree. He has a solid foundation. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's his foundation. The Passion Translation offers offers verse 1 this way. God is my fierce protector and my pastor. I always have more than enough. I like I really like the language of fierce protector. Isn't that good? You know, If you're in a powerless place, and that's what this whole series has been about, if you're in a powerless place, don't you need a fierce protector? I need a fierce protector. In the, if I'm feeling strong and mighty and powerful, well, maybe my, my perceived need for a, a fierce protector is not so acute. But when I'm in a powerless place, when I'm in a wilderness... I'm in a dark night of the soul, I need that fierce protector. I need to know that there's someone fighting for me passionately. And that's our God. So why the word pastor here instead of shepherd? I bet you if I pulled out every other translation I could find, they're going to have shepherd and not pastor. But actually in the Hebrew, the word ra'ah um, which is usually translated shepherd, could just as easily and appropriately so be translated as, um, as pastor. The word has dual meaning. I like here it says, God is my fierce protector and pastor. I always have more than enough. The term, the title for God, El Shaddai, or El Shaddai, is a Hebrew title, That's most often translated as God Almighty. But I think a more accurate translation of that title is the God of more than enough. The God of abundant supply. And I think the Passion Translation authors get that. He's the God of more than enough. Indeed, we shall not want. In verse 2, David builds upon this foundation. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down. I like the way the message has, has that part of it. He says, uh, you have bedded me down in lush meadows. You've bedded me down. It reminds me of when our kids were small, our daughter. If we had a lot of activity, like if we spent yesterday at grandparents' house and did some you know, fun family event in the morning, and then had some church event the next night. By the time we get her home that second day, she was overwhelmed. Man, she did too much sensory input, and she she would be a mess. She would cry. It took us a while to figure this out. Oh, we can't do all that activity all at the same time with our daughter. She would cry and cry and cry inconsolably, and what she needed more than anything else was to be petted down. And eventually, she would. She'd lie down and she'd fall asleep and she needed that rest. We knew it. She fought it. She fought against us you know, tenaciously. What she needed was rest. Sometimes we're like that ourselves, right? In our own powerless place. Maybe what we just need from God is to be bedded down. That we need to, to lie down. That he makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters. The Passion Translation says it this way, he offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to the quiet brooks of bliss, the oasis of peace. How good does that sound? Is there anybody here that couldn't use a little bit more of that? Who doesn't need that kind of resting place in your life right now? (laughs) With a hammock. (laughs) David knows God. David loves God. David trusts God. He knew God tending but a few sheep in the wilderness. He knew God when he was faced with Goliath. He knew God while he was hiding in a cave from Saul's murderous attacks all powerless places. And from that knowledge, builds upon his foundation a spiritual house that looks like this, resting in God's luxurious love by quiet brooks of bliss and an oasis of peace. Oh, so good. David knew something. He continues to build in verse 3. He says, He restores my soul he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. God restores, our God restores, and he leads. Man, this is good news. If you feel spiritually lost in the wilderness, in a dark night of the soul, if your faith has somehow taken hits, and you feel like you're on shaky ground at best, this is really good news. Our God loves us like a good shepherd. He redeems and he restores what's been lost or stolen away from us. And again, like a very good shepherd, he leads us on a vastly better path. The passage translation says it this way. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me a pathway to God's pleasure, leading me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. I didn't think about this when I was preparing the message, but I'm reminded reading the passage. Passion Translations take here, where it says, leading me along in his footsteps. I remember having a vision once, and I came to this crossroads in this vision, and to my left there was this, it was like a, Entrance to a highway, paved and smooth, and I could see kind of like the incline going up. Couldn't really see what was behind the crest, but it it was an easy path. And to my right was this tiny little footpath that one person could walk at a time. And I'm standing at this crossroads with God, and the father looks to me and he says, you can go either way you want. I'm going this way. (laughs) And he begins to walk, and he goes down this little footpath. And I remember looking thinking, man, I really want to go that way. I want to go where the highway is. But God's going that way. And so I just kind of looked both ways for a second and thought about it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go follow him. And I followed him. And I realized as I got on that path that the only way I could go is that my feet needed to land where his feet had landed. I had literally, like it says here, he was leading me along in his footsteps. Man, that's sometimes how it is, right? We'd like to be able to see the big picture. We want to see the whole vista and as far as it can go. We want to be on that path that's, that's paved for us. We can go as quick as we want to go and make the changes we want to make. And sometimes, as we walk with him, it's like following behind him, step by step. There's no passing him. There's no going around him. You can go back, but he's setting the pace. He's blazing the trail. Who among us couldn't use a God to open before us a pathway to his pleasure? Especially while navigating through a powerless place. And why? Why does he do this? It's for his name's sake. So that we can bring honor to his name. And now take note of the verse. It's not the loss that brings him honor. Honor is brought to his name by the redemption and the restoration And by revival, that's what does it. That's what brings honor to his name. Our God is truly a good, good father who takes no glory in our suffering. Concerning the phrase, for his name's sake, Bible commentator Adam Clark adds this. He says, to display the glory of his grace and not on account of any merit in me, God's motives of conduct toward the children of men are derived from the perfections and the goodness of his own nature. It's not my good works. It's God's good works. Hey, if I'm in need of redemption and restoration, I'm in need of revival. Guess what? I'm bringing nothing to the table, man. (laughs) I'm bringing nothing to the table. Absolutely nothing. It's all him. I've said this in the past. Maybe you see me post it on Facebook. But I say, if the Christian life is all about my dream, my vision, my discipline, my choices, my character, my sacrifice, my endurance, and my generosity, well, why do I need a Savior? Right? For that matter, why do I need God at all? However, if the Christian life is all about my brokenness, my failures, my weakness, sin, my utter, bankrupt, depressed... Desperate need to be loved? Then I need a Savior to rescue my soul. And a Heavenly Father to love me. Lavishly and extravagantly. How about you? Man, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I still don't have it all together. Shocking, I know, shocking. You guys pay me for this. I still don't have it all together. Truly, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is for those in the powerless place, not the powerful place. Listen to what happened at Matthew's house. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. It says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They're my people, that's why. (laughs) Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Guys, his ways are not our ways. Jesus hangs out with people that maybe we wouldn't hang out with. He hangs out with people like us. (laughs) He hangs out with the people who doesn't have their act all together. He hangs out with the broken people. He hangs out with the sick people. He hangs out with the people in need. Man, so if you're sitting here this morning and you feel weak, if you feel broken, know this. Jesus came for you. He came specifically for you. So now, with this foundation laid and a house built, we move on to really the key verse in the psalm for this series of messages. Verse 4. David writes, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Does that sound like a powerless place? Does that sound like a dark night of the soul? It does to me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me more than once in my life physically spiritually figuratively I've walked through a valley of the shadow of death I know many of you have as well you've told me as much man is there a time when we more need the comfort of his presence I can remember One of the absolute lowest points in my life. Nadine and I had moved to Texas to take on a new position. We thought thought our world was about to skyrocket. And we're there just a few weeks getting settled in. And cancer comes back for a second time. Man, it just so blindsided me. I mean, they had warned me that it could. But I really didn't expect that it would. I didn't. So... I'm battling cancer for a second time, I'm going through chemo for a second time. And we left behind like all of our support systems, friends, and family, big church, everything. Doctors that we knew, So it was pretty overwhelming. And the chemo was just really rough the second go around. I was so, so sick, lots of side effects. I was in a lot of pain, physical pain. And the nasty side effect was insomnia. I couldn't sleep. I would go days with like an hour maybe two of restless sleep. And so this one night I'm just exasperated. We were living in this little two bedroom townhouse and our bedroom was on one side and we kind of had the second bedroom kind of slash like a home office and I got up in the middle of the night not able to sleep again. I don't want to wake up Nadine because she's working hard taking care of me every day. And, I, and I'm just overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. So I go into the other go into the other bedroom turn on the computer go on Facebook because what else do you do? You go on Facebook, right? I was hoping to distract myself. It didn't. I don't know if I've ever shared this publicly but it's the truth. I was in so much pain. I was hurt so bad. I, From my heart I prayed that night that God would just take me. Lord, i I've had experiences, I've been to heaven, I'd miss Nadine and the kids, I know she missed me. Just take me now. And it wasn't it wasn't emotionalism. It was a hot cry. I want him to just take me then. Because that looks so much better than what I was dealing with. And so I asked him to take me and he didn't. And I just sat there and then scrolling on Facebook, I heard this song. You guys have heard this song too. And the words in the song just touch me in a deep place when it says, when all of a sudden I'm unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great Your affections are for me. The afflictions were great. I still get moved deep when I remember that moment. I was so low. If I'd ever experienced the valley of the shadow of death, that was my moment. That was the deepest one for me. And he touched me with his love with his presence in that moment. And it broke me. And I cried and cried and cried. He didn't abandon me in that place. He wasn't angry with me in that place. He wasn't disappointed with me in that place. Oh, Tom, you're a Christian leader. You should be able to handle this better. What's wrong with you? Where's your faith? None of that. He just met me in that dark valley. And he loved me. And you know what? Relief came afterwards. Circumstances really didn't change. We still had months of chemo in front of us. But sometimes you just need a little break. You know what I'm saying? (coughs) The Passion Translation communicates verse 4 this way. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of the deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. And that's what I felt at that moment, that he was close. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I will never be lonely for you or near. You know, if the Holy Spirit can lead Jesus into a wilderness, well, I guess he can lead us there too. But what if he leads us? into those dark valleys where it's our circumstances or hey, maybe we did something stupid we took ourselves there, I don't know. No matter what, he, he remains close. He leads us through it. His strength, his authority and his peace are ours. The comfort of his love removes our fears. That's what he did for me in those early morning hours. And he's done it many times since. I really like in verse 4 where it says, Your authority is my strength and my peace. You know, I've heard a lot of sermons on Psalm 23. And some, for some reason, they like to emphasize the part in verse 4, Your rod and your staff comfort me. And every time I've heard a sermon on that, it's like God's going to whack you with that rod and that staff. You're going to get a wallop really, really good. I'm thinking, man, in the valley of the shadow of death, in my powerless place. I don't need that. His rod and his staff aren't there to be used on me. It's to protect me from the wolves. It's to protect me from what's going to... There's nothing in this text that leads me anywhere to believe that he's going to use that rod and the staff on me. He's going to use it to protect me and to defend me. And to take the object of his affection that he loves so greatly. To keep me safe when I can't keep myself safe. To fight for me when I got no fight left. Doesn't that make sense? Man, that's Jesus. That's the picture I have of Jesus. Oh God, give us a fresh image of who you really are. Verse 5. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I'm not sitting at a table getting wallop. Boom, 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 boom. Sit up straight. Get your elbows off the table. Chew with your mouth closed. That's not what he's doing. I had a bad experience. <laughs> 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 you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Here we see in action the authority and the strength of El Shaddai. Here we see what I call... Growing up from a New York Italian background, here is what I see, the abundanza of God. My grandmother used to call us in for dinner. We'd be out playing all day. She'd stick her head out the window and yell really, really loud. manja, 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 abundanza, abundanza. And for grandma, this is what it meant. It meant eat, eat a lot. Dinner's ready, come and eat, and eat a whole bunch in the presence of our enemies, not our friends in our powerless place, not our powerful place. God Almighty, El Shaddai, the God of more than enough, sets a table before us and just like Grandma, he says, Manja, Manja, I will dance. I will dance. I will provide for you in overwhelming abundance. So our daughter just got married. And so our son-in-law is getting exposed to the wacky family culture. And so if you've ever had dinner at our house, and if there are going to be four people there, Nadine makes, like, enough food for 12. You know, it's like this is the way she does things. There's amazing amount of food. Apparently our daughter has picked up this trait. And so our new son-in-law, he, he calls that. He says, I take I go shopping with Lisa. We need two. She thinks we should get eight. He says, I call this the full wacky, Right? It's the full Zawacki overwhelming abundance of food. That's the heart of God, man. He's going to give you the full wacky. You're going to get abundanza in your broken place, in your weak place, because that's who he is. He's the God who created the universe. I like the way the Passion Translation takes verse 5. It says, you become my delicious feast, even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit, and you give me all I could drink of you until my heart overflows. He is our portion. He is our prize, right? So he pours out his spirit lavishly. He fills our cup with his presence to overflowing, not just on our mountaintops, when we expect to be mighty and powerful and flowing in the anointing, right? But in the valley of the shadow of death. If you're in a powerless place, for some reason, God's kept me on this series for six messages now. If you're in a powerless place, there's good news for you. Not bad news. In God, in Christ Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, there's good news for you. His power is made perfect in weakness. If you feel broken and weak and weak, I think He's setting you up for something awesome so he can brag. His glory could be displayed guy says, ways are not our ways. He thinks differently than we do. We think we have to have it all together. And all the pieces of our puzzles got to fit. And it all has to make sense. And everything should go in a straight line or at least, you know, just go step by step up and up and up and up But he's got another plan. And even when it doesn't make sense, I remember my foundation. God is good. And he loves me. So with this is our reality, verse 6 makes sense. Surely the goodness and the mercy, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The passing translation says it this way. So why would I fear the future? For I'm being pursued only by your goodness and unfailing love. Then afterwards, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be with you forever. Guys, if you're in a powerless place, if you're in the valley of the shadow of death, please know this rock solid truth. Even if it feels this way, please know this truth. God has not forsaken you. God has not abandoned you. It might be dark. Maybe you can't see him. Maybe you cannot feel him. But this is the truth. From one friend to another, from someone who's been there, he'll never ever leave you. He will never ever forsake you. It's in his nature to be faithful. Abandoning you is an impossibility for him. He's relentlessly faithful. That's how good He is. You can run. You can run. You cannot escape Him. He's with you. He's closer than you think. And He loves you more than you've ever known. So let's pray. Oh God help us. I can only guess Lord, that there are some here that are in this powerless place. <laughs> Otherwise, why why you keep me parked here? Meet us in the valley. Set that table before us, O oh God, in our powerless place. You yourself come and be our portion. Be our prize. Lord, may each of our afflictions be eclipsed by glory. Help us to realize just how great your affections truly are for each of us. Oh God, make it so. Make it so, Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' name. So, if you're in a powerless place this morning, if you need to be, you need redemption, you need restoration, you need Him to lead you, in a better path. If if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I feel like I'm in that valley of the shadow of death and (laughs) you need to manja in his presence or in the presence of your enemies. You need some of that goodness and mercy. If you need, if you're here today and you have need to be pursued by his goodness and his unfailing love, if you have any need at all, they invite you to come forward for prayer as I lead us in a final song. Whew. Thank you, Jesus.